Welcome to the St. Andrews Community Live Interactive Podcast. Thank you for tuning in with us today. And now for your hosts, for your spiritual hour of power, Pastors D.A. Bennett and Josh Coates. I don't want to alarm anybody, but we've been invaded. For the last several weeks, I have noticed an invasion in our church facilities. Now, this invasion is not people who would attack our beliefs or our values. No, this invasion is by insects, specifically crickets. Don't know if y'all have noticed, but for the last several weeks, for over a month, I walk around and I see cricket corpses laying all over the floor, which lets me know that our pest control people do a really good job surrounding the perimeter, so if they should pierce the outside, they are taken care of quickly. And they're all young. They're not the mature crickets. These are juvenile crickets, and we can be thankful that it's just kind of random. It's not like an Egyptian plague. I don't know if you remember the story of the Egyptian plagues and how when there was a plague of frogs, they had to use shovels to get all the dead frogs out of their houses. Oh, no, no. These are just random here and there juvenile crickets that are dying, and we are thankful. If you are new and you're experiencing crickets. We don't normally just leave crickets laying around as decoration. Uh, I actually felt good when I walked in this morning. I didn't see a single dead cricket till I went to get my water, and there was one laying on the floor right there being dead. And, and, and I, I, I saw enough crickets I began to wonder, could this be a sign for something? Could, could the presence of all these crickets have meaning and you know I, I know in Native American folklore and mythology and culture sometimes there are things that happen in nature that really are interpreted as being signs and so I don't know if you know our secretary Tierra Roberts actually happens to be Native American but more than that she is an advocate for Native American uh, education and so I walked into her office I said Tierra I have a odd question I want to ask you. Um, have you noticed all the crickets laying around? Well, trust me, everybody on staff has noticed all the crickets. I said, in Native American tradition, does this have any meaning? And, and I appreciated how she looked at me with a smile on her face and said, I have no idea. But my curiosity must have been contagious because she came in the next day and she said, well, I went home and I did some research and here's what I found out. Uh, the crickets could be one of three things in their meaning. The first is that it was getting colder outside so they were coming inside. The second, honestly, I don't even remember what the second one was. But the third one was it can be a sign of something coming to an end and or something beginning. And when she said that, I got real excited because our church is in a place where something has ended and something is beginning and maybe perhaps even through dead crickets, God is speaking to us 
a new future and a new hope. And this is exciting for us that we, we haven't felt this kind of momentum for a while because we've been bogged down in other things. But, but God is doing something new, and we want to know how it is we can participate in this future that God is creating for our church. Now, beloved, one of the things that I know well is, you know, the Bible does teach without a vision, people perish. And I have seen church after church after church that would say, God is giving us a new vision. God is, you know, taking us into a new future. But some of those churches seem to thrive and move in to a season of growth and a season of strength. But other churches seem to just continue in their decline. And so the question becomes, Is there a difference in that? And the thing that I would suggest to you is if God gives us a vision for something, God will always be faithful on his side of the vision. But when God's vision goes unfulfilled, the error results from human efforts or the lack thereof. God's always going to be faithful. We're the ones that have to struggle through and ask how we're able to do this. And we want to know, you know, God, what exactly are you trying to do in our midst? What is required of us? And this always takes me to a saying I read several years ago, and this isn't an exact quote, but it was something I read in a book, and it was this. A vision without a task is simply a daydream. And a task without a vision is is burdensome. Now just think of that. A a vision without a task is a daydream. If God's giving us a vision, a lot of us are task-oriented people. Okay, if this is going to happen, what do we have to do? What is required of us? What is expected of us? We want to move into this place where we see God moving again. What is God requiring of us? Because God's going to be faithful. We don't want to fail on our end. Amen? But a task without a vision just feels like a burden. If I just said, okay, we all need to start doing this, but you didn't understand why and you didn't see a strategy and you didn't see a goal, you would pretty soon get to the place where you just say, man, why are we doing this? This isn't helping us at all. Part of what I love about the word of God is sometimes it states things very clearly so that there's no misunderstanding about what God is saying. And yet, if you dig even deeper into those simple things, there's even more that we can learn. So it was a few weeks ago as I was reading through the book of Romans, a letter that Paul writes to early Christians to encourage them, here's what you have to do to fulfill the mission of Christ. He's not trying to write a complete list. It's not an exhaustive list, but he's just reminding them of some simple things. Let's Read that part of the book of Romans. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. Sorry, I lost my place. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, 
do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Now, we are a church that is in a new season and a new future, and yet we know that some people have not embraced the future that we believe God is leading us into, and at the same time, we believe that there are others who have been watching us that will begin to buy in the future that we believe God is leading us to. And as those people come, one of the things that they will want to know is what is expected of us? What is the task that goes with the vision that God is setting out for us? And I think this scripture says several things, but the, the first section of that is just so clear to me what God is saying to us, and that is this. Everyone needs to use your gifts to accomplish the mission. It's going to take all of us. It's going to take all of our faith. It's going to take all of our giving. It's going to take all of our serving. It's going to take all of us. It can't happen in the hands of just a few. Now, I know when the church started, one of the things that uh, the founders of our church would often share with me, and they shared it with gladness, was this, that whenever St. Andrew's was started, if something was going to be done, everyone had to do it. If they were going to have Bible study, everybody had to show up for Bible study. If they were going to build a building, everybody was going to have to give. If they were going to do a mission in the community, if they were going to serve, anything that was happening, the whole church had to participate. And that is a very healthy aspect for a thriving and growing congregation. And as the congregation was growing, pretty soon it was growing so much that, that people just began to come for the experience. Yeah, it's what we call consumers. You know, consumers just come to consume the religious goods and the religious services that our church had to offer. But the thing about consumers is once they're done consuming, in other words, once they get everything they want or need and their needs are no longer met, what do they do? Right on down the road. That happens everywhere. That's not just St. Andrews. That happens everywhere. What we're looking for are producers, people who are saying, we believe in the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ. We believe in this vision of loving, caring, and overcoming. How do we accomplish that? What is our task? I would tell you it's a task that is far greater than what just one or even one handful of people can do. All of us are people that have gifts. So let me ask you, what is your passion for helping make disciples of Jesus Christ. What is it that you feel God has gifted you with that you can be passionate about so that you serve in a way that is not a burden? 
good friend Ed helped me understand this once. Ed is from Ada. He uh, is a business owner down there. He does quite well. His house backs up to, I believe, it's a 17th fairway on the country club down there. He is recognized as a leader in the community, and he is also a very faithful servant in his church. Ed got put on my board of directors at the campus ministry, and I was excited about that because I knew Ed had connections, and I knew some of the things we were hoping to accomplish. I really believed that he could help us. But after about the third board meeting he came to, I could tell that he was really a board member. He didn't seem to have any excitement about what we were doing, and and I just kind of wondered what was going on. And so it was that one day Ed and I were having a conversation and he looked at me and he said, I, I know I'm not a very good board member. He said, you know, I'll support you. I'll support the ministry. But this is not what I'm good at. This is not what I'm supposed to do in my life. He goes, in the church, I love it when they ask me to serve on the trustees because I'm good at that. I love it when they ask me to be on finance committee because I understand that. When I'm on the board at the bank, I know what I'm doing. When I'm on the board at the hospital, I know what I'm doing. Around here, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. And a lot of people would say, well, you know, he, he's just about power. No, he, he really was passionate. This is not my gift. If you put me in a place where my gifts can be used, I will be much more effective in helping you to do what you want to do. So (laughs) I put Ed on the development committee, and he began to thrive. What are your gifts? What are your passions? Where can you plug in? You see, one of the struggles is when our, our church was growing and people would come in And there would be an announcement that would go out that says, we need somebody to teach children Sunday school. You know who taught Sunday school? I mean, seriously, do you know? Someone else? You know, when when somebody might be asked to serve in leadership, people didn't want to serve because you know who was going to serve? Someone else. If there was a mission project, didn't have to worry about that. Someone else was going to take care of it. If, if we needed to raise money for something, oh, that's great. Someone else always gives. Oh, no, 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 beloved. Someone else disaffiliated. They withdrew. It's going to take all of us to use our gifts to move into this future that God has called for us to move into. I like that amen. Thank you very much. Those of you that couldn't go online, Sue Adams, who usually says amen at the wrong time, said Amen at the right time today. (laughs) I'm sorry, it's Mike that says it at the wrong time. (laughs) But this word of God continues to go on. You know, and it, it says if you can prophesy, prophesy. If you can give, give. If you can lead, lead. It says all that. And then we get into a new paragraph. And the thing it says is so critical. It says, don't pretend to love others. Really love them. That just seems so simple and so basic as to think, well, yeah, we can do that. And yet I would want you to know that people outside the church, if you ask them about the church, the number one thing they will tell you is that people that go to church are judgmental and hateful. We might think we really love people, and, and, and I would agree with us. <laughs> 
but people outside the church, the ones that we're hoping to reach with the good news of Jesus' saving power, the one we're hoping to see become disciples of Jesus would say, no, y'all just pretend to love other people. And I, I appreciated the people last week when I shared the dreams with you and I told you, you know, that I've been called a hater and I've been called a bigot. I appreciate the people who got your feelings hurt on my behalf. I'm okay. But you know what made me mad about that? is they didn't just say it about me, they said it about you too. Bill was a good guy, and he loved to play golf. So it was in the spring when the weather was nice and beautiful. Every chance Bill got, he got out to play golf. All the while, his wife was in his ear reminding him of this project that he promised her he would do. Do I have a witness, my brothers? Don't raise your hand. That'll just get you in trouble. So when summer got around, Bill knew he couldn't put it off anymore. He was going to have to do this project. And the project was the sidewalk in front of their house had just really disintegrated and it, it was in bad shape. And she had been asking him to fix the sidewalk so that people wouldn't trip or bad things wouldn't happen. And so he put it off all spring when the weather was good. He waited until summer and it was hot. So he got up early in the morning and he went out there and he started taking out the sidewalk where it was all cracked and, and breaking apart. He had to get a sledgehammer to swing the sledge to break up the bigger pieces. Got all the cement taken out and then he, he got the lumber and he poured the forms that he was going to use to pour new sidewalk and he uh, got the sand, he lined the the area he was going to patch with sand so there would be flexibility in the soil. And he was doing all of this under expert supervision. You see, across the street, Bill had this cantankerous old curmudgeon for a neighbor. And every now and then, he would come out and he would look and he, he would offer his unsolicited expert advice on how Bill should be doing it. And it was starting to get hotter, and Bill was starting to get annoyed by it because every time that neighbor had a need, Bill would go over and help him. But all this guy did was offer his expert supervision. And so it was that he went and got a cement mixer, and he filled it with the cement mix, and he poured water, and when he got in the consistency, he began to pour it in the form, smoothed it all out. He was done, cleaned up his mess. He was hot, he was sweaty, he was tired. And so he went and got a big glass of iced tea so he could sit on the porch and just admire his work. He'd been sitting there just a few minutes, and all of a sudden he saw something out of the corner of his eye. That kid that lived down the street that was always riding his bicycle was tearing across the sidewalk on his bicycle. And when Bill saw what was going to happen, he yelled and he was saying, stop, stop. But the kid didn't hear him in time. That bicycle hit that cement. It didn't go very far before the kid went flying over the handlebars, landing in the cement. And Bill runs off his porch and he grabs the kid with one hand and yanks him out and he grabs a bicycle and he throws it into the street and then he's just agonizing about what has happened. All this hard work he'd put in has just been ruined. He's going to have to redo it and he's going to have to get sweaty and hot again. And he was just, you know, giving those cries of anguish that we might give in that situation. And here comes the supervisor. 
And he's just saying, well, Bill, can't, you can't blame that kid for what happened. He rides his bike up and down the sidewalk all the time. Bill, you, sh you shouldn't be yelling at this kid, which he wasn't. He was just yelling, but not at the kid. You know, you should be helping clean his bike. You should help clean the kid off. This, this kid's a mess. He goes, aren't you Christians supposed to love everybody? And Bill stood there just heaving with all these deep breaths to regain his composure. And he said, we do love them, but we love them in the abstract, not in the concrete. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> but Bill got it wrong. We're supposed to love people in the concrete. We're supposed to love people in ways that they can acknowledge. We're supposed to love people in ways that they are able to receive. And even if they disagree with our perspective on things, we still act in such a way so as to be loving, not to be offended. And if you're wondering, well, well what is that, that real measure of love? What is that real expression of love? I think that Paul writes it there in the scripture because after he says, you know, don't pretend to love people really love them. He says, hate what is wrong, not hate people. Hate what is wrong. If you give, give generously. If you serve, serve enthusiastically. Don't be lazy. And he's giving this list of all these things we can do. And then he says, and keep praying. <laughs> keep praying. If we need a task, if we need to do something, by all means, let's keep praying. And the last line I read, I know Laura picked up on it. <laughs> Always offer hospitality. I've had people asking me, is your church really welcoming of all people? And I always say, we try to be. We try to just welcome people when they come. We don't judge. We don't ask questions. We just want everybody to know that they're welcome here. And we don't pretend we really have to do it. If somebody comes in, we say, would you like a cup of coffee? Can we get you a bottle of water? Sometimes people come in, they have that deer in the headlights look. And that's when you say, can I help you with something? We, had, we were having a, a missions meeting this last week, and this guy walks in about I don't know, 6.15, we hadn't been meeting very long. And he was grabbing his wallet and he's taking something out. I thought maybe we had won the lottery and he was Ed McMahon, but I know Ed's dead, so that wasn't gonna happen. But I just looked at him, I said, can we help you with something? And he goes, is this a church where you vote? We said, no, that's over there on the other side of May. That's where you need to go. But just asking a simple question. The question is, can I help you with something? The question is not, what are you doing here? just in case you ever run into that situation. When people come, and we expect that they will, what is our task? It's going to take all of us using our gifts. We've got to really love people. And at some point, if you've joined this church, then you know we have five expectations of our members. 
the first expectation is we want people to be in worship every Sunday that they're not sick or out of town. Now, obviously, that has changed since this became an expectation before I arrived because now we have online worship. If you're online, you're in worship. If you're on demand, you're in worship. We expect it every week, whether it's here or online. Our mission is making disciples of Jesus Christ, so we actually have an expectation that people participate in discipleship. We don't tell you how you have to do that. We know that some people go to Sunday school, some people go to midweek classes, there are midweek Bible studies that people go to, there are small groups that people attend. Some of you also attend in discipleship experiences outside of our church. We just expect that our members are growing as disciples as we seek to make disciples. The third expectation that we have is that you use your gifts to serve in mission and ministry. As I said, someone else has withdrawn membership, and so that leaves us to do the things that have to be done. The fourth expectation we have is that people give in proportion to their income, with the tithe actually being the standard that we believe Scripture teaches. And then finally, our fifth expectation is to offer radical hospitality, to go out of our way to help other people feel at home feel like they're welcome, to feel like they belong when they come to St. Andrews. Because when we meet these expectations, we're not just like a bunch of dead crickets laying around where the end has come. Something new is beginning. Do you want to be a part of it? I think you do. Would you all pray with me?